Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. So why do a show about towels? I say, why not do a show about towels? Towels are just kind of part of the story of the human race, but we don't think about them very much. There's even a so-called holy towel that was once visited by pilgrims in the belief that it showed the face of Jesus Christ formed when he dried his wet head on a piece of cloth. So there. So towels appear in culture, but they mainly appear in your life, right? They're one of these latent things that you don't take a lot of notice of. On the other hand, you do rather deeply personal things with your towel, more personal things with your towel than you do with other objects you might talk a lot more about. So that's the whole idea of this show. Get ready. One of the premises of our show, I mean, not every single day, but one of the premises of our show is that anything can be interesting. The most everyday, humdrum, quotidian object in the world. If you look at it the right way, and if you look into it deeply enough, it can be interesting. This has led us to do several shows that perhaps we shouldn't have done, but I I don't think that's going to be the case with today's show. It's about towels, and towels, I think, are impregnated with mystery and interest. They certainly are sources of great pleasure. I like a really good towel, a really, really nice towel. I mean, it just, you know, the poets have spoken inadequately uh, of what a, to- a really nice towel, what, a, what an experience that can be. So today on the show, we've done many things. We talked Jill Silbule into writing an original song about towels for us. I wouldn't say it's the best Jill Silbule song ever, but it's an original song about towels. We'll be talking about Douglas Adams because that's a big deal in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We'll be talking about the terrible towels of Pittsburgh, if you know what we're talking about. We're going to be talking about the semiotics of towels. But first, we needed to talk to a towel expert. And there really aren't that many towel experts. There are people who have had under trying circumstances, had to become towel experts. And that might be a good way to describe Jackie Reeve, who writes The Orange Room, her blog about quilting, crafting, cooking, traveling, and things at JackieReeve.com. She's also a bed and bath writer with Wire Cutter. And, you know, as you probably know, when awards season comes around, there's the Oscars, there's the Emmys, there's the Grammys, then there's the Tonys. And then probably right after that is the Best Towel Award from Wire Cutter. She is the person who decided who was going to get the Best Bath Towel Award. She's joining us by Skype right now. So Jackie Reeve, welcome to our conversation. Mm -hmm. Hi, thanks for having me. We should say, first of all, you spent, I believe, 135 hours investigating towel quality? Yeah, I mean, we've had a couple of other writers work on this guide over the years. I sort of inherited it last year. So that's combined with everybody. But yeah, I have spent scores of hours using towels, washing them, thinking about them. It's a lot of towel time. Right. So it seems to me that there isn't some kind of international standard for towel excellence that somehow Mm -hmm. or other you have to think a little bit on your own and decide Mm -hmm. what are the criteria that add up to towel greatness. So Mm -hmm. what did you decide? I mean, basically, you know, when I interview towel makers about what people should be looking for, they all basically say a towel has one job, and that is to dry your body. So if a towel isn't absorbent, it's really really 
pointless. And really everything else, how soft you like it, how thick you like it, you know, if you like a terry towel or another kind, all of that is personal preference. But what really makes an outstanding towel is if it's nice and thirsty. But do you believe that? Because I, I feel like there is a lot more, I mean, in terms of towel pleasure, it's, yeah. it, there's more to it, right? It is definitely a sensory experience, um, you know, and I think it's just, it, it, again, that probably is personal preference. It really just comes down to how it feels on your skin. I really like a fat, plushy, spongy towel that feels really kind of luxurious, but they can be heavy. Some people like something a little bit lighter. Some people even like a towel that has just a little bit of scratchiness to it, you know, not rough, but just kind of like a little bit of a pleasant texture on your skin. So a lot of that is just about what makes you happy, like what feels good on your skin. But at the end of the day, you know, you're using it to dry off out of the shower. So you do want something that's going to do that job. It's frustrating if a towel can't perform its most basic function. Right. Although I just want to say scratchy towel to me seems like you know, like some self-flagellating monk in the Da Vinci Code or something. Who would want a scratchy towel? I guess people do. I know. I was going to say, if you've ever had like an itch on your back that you can't reach, you're getting out of the shower and you just rub it across your back. You know, sometimes a certain towel, if it's too soft, you know, sometimes a good towel with a little bit of extra texture just feels just right. Right. Although I actually have a monk from the Da Vinci Code who scratches my back whenever I have an itch there. So I don't really need a towel to do it. That's, so, uh, that's oh, yeah. No, it's much more. It's a little inconvenient having him around the rest of the time. But um, <laughs> so there's also this question of towel size. And it kind of came up in our newsroom and our among our producers as we were talking about it, because in a way it seems like you know, the towel is like pizza, like the more the better or something. But right. not everybody feels that right way. I guess a towel can be too big. Yeah, our staff at Wirecutter is definitely divided about that too. Um, I like a big towel, but it, it, there are different issues around it. Like some people have small bathrooms. Some people don't want to give over the real estate on their shelves. <laughs> you know, the bigger the towel, the more space it takes up when you fold it. And so some people just like a thin towel that just gets the job done. Some people feel overwhelmed by a big towel because they're often heavier. So there are definitely camps of people who want something that's lightweight and does its job and feels almost, you know, like it's barely there. And then people who really want to wrap up in something luxurious and sort of sumptuous. And I am in the wrap up in something that feels fantastic camp. But yeah, it's a it's we are a divided staff on that, too. Probably people who get magazines and newspapers have seen some of the for your consideration advertisements from various towel companies are hoping to win this <laughs> award, hoping to influence some of the thinking of a person like Jackie Reeve. But I think it is time to open up the envelope and see what got picked. Here we go. So the best towel, the best bath towel of 2018 was La La Land. No, that can't be right. That was a mistake. All right. So, no, it was the Front Gate Resort Cotton Bath Towel. Is there anything mm -hmm. you'd like to tell me about that? It's just, it's a gorgeous towel. It's a little more expensive than some of the other ones that we tested, but it basically comes in enough colors that you will find something that matches your bathroom. It's dyed in a way that the color is just really rich and it lasts when you wash it. It feels great to use. It's soft, but not so soft that you feel like you're just pushing water around like a mop. 
Um, and it's just the towel that I reach for over and over again. And a bunch of our testers were really drawn to that one. And it's just it, the reviews for it. I mean, people love this towel. Like it almost has its own, you know, cult. If you read the user <laughs> reviews, people feel really passionately about this towel. Right. And, you know, in terms of that issue of expense, and I don't want to sound like Diamond Jim Brady about this or something. But on the other hand, I feel like, you know, the towel, you're going to be rubbing it on your body every damn day, pretty much. Yeah. So like yeah. an extra 10 bucks, you know, you know what I'm yeah, saying? It's worth it. I mean, you know, it, we had another towel from Target that we liked in past years that was discontinued. That was a really great price. But honestly, I feel like, you know, for something like this, it's worth a little bit of a splurge because it will probably last longer than a cheap towel, too. So you have to buy fewer of them, you know, in the scope of your life. You know, maybe you replace these a little bit less and it sort of saves you money over time. Yeah, I think it's worth investing a little bit more. You use it every day. It's not something you think about, but it's just it's a really nice thing to have. You know, when you step out of the shower and you wrap up in it, it's one of those things that you appreciate in that moment. And maybe you don't think about it the whole rest of your day, but you really will like having it when you have it. Right. And on the other hand, if you have an inadequate towel, then the rest mm -hmm. of your day and you're in a slightly sour mood and you don't know why. Possibly it was right. because that moment you put the towel on and it wasn't really right. So well, we, right. I want to say once again, basically what you're going to do when you're all done here in this conversation is you're going to go into the Googles and you're going to type wire cutter towels and you're going to get this whole thing. But if you're in a hurry rushing out the door, it's Frontgate Resort Cotton Bath Towel. Although I think mm -hmm. you just get that from the website or something, right? I went on the Frontgate website and mm -hmm. that's what you would do, right? Yeah, you can just get it from Frontgate.com. You know, their resort collection is kind of their own collection and this is their cotton bath towel. Pretty sure it comes in a cotton, like a bath sheet too, and hand towels and washcloths. You can kit out the whole bathroom. So Jill Solbule occasionally comes into our studios. I know that sounds kind of cool, and it is. And occasionally she can be persuaded, prevailed upon to write a song on the spot. So I asked her if she would write a song about towels. Okay. It's right. just a little, it's, it's just a little bit of a song. Okay, let me make sure. It's a little bossa nova. I wasn't sure that I liked him. I'm not sure if he was fun. But then he took me to his bathroom. And I knew he was the one. He had big, fluffy, expensive towels. The kind at the Ritz he had. Big, fluffy, expensive towels. I let him kiss because he had big, fluffy, expensive towels. Wouldn't you? Of course you would. <laughs> Woo! Woo! <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was. <laughs> and you kind of got the kiss thing in there. I got the kiss in there. Yeah, you got the whole it was thing because of the big fluffy towels. Yeah. It is oppressive. When you go into someone's bathroom, you see them as opposed to like, you see, you go into like my friend's place. You know, he's kind of a bachelory guy. Yeah. And, you know, he's, he's, he's got a nice pad. Mm -hmm. And you go into his bathroom, he's got these ratty ass <laughs> towels. <laughs> And it would be, I don't care. It's like it'd be so much more impressive if he would have, like, had these gorgeous, yeah. white, ho like, Ritz Hotel right. It's the wrong towels. place to cut corners. People think it's a place they can cut corners. Right. But it's the wrong place to cut corners. Mm -hmm. Cut corners someplace else. But I don't know. 
should we judge people based on like what kind of towels they have and how good their towels are? I don't think so. One somebody I interviewed for this guide had told me that you know in his experience talking to tons of customers, a lot of people pick their towel by the color. You know, they see it in the store, they think, oh, that'll match my bathroom, and then they go over and touch it and they see how soft it is. And I think it's tricky because a lot of manufacturers put softeners and other chemicals into the towels to make them feel fantastic on the shelf. But once you wash those a few times, all of that disappears, and you don't really get a sense of the towel until you've used it and washed it a few times. So people, you know, might think something feels fantastic in the store. Maybe it didn't turn out to be so great. Maybe they say, you know what, I don't mind that it's, you know, not the softest towel. I want this color. So it's hard to know why people end up with the towels they end up with. But I think if you have someone, if you're, you know, at a hotel or visiting someone's house and they have an amazing towel, you should always ask them where they got it. Yeah, they'll be so flattered, I, w- I would assume. Yeah. It's like one of those things that they probably put more thought into it than you realize and they'll they'll talk to you about it all day. So I think we're just about done here. I guess maybe the thing to say is, you know, as you say, we don't know why people buy the towels that they buy, but we do know that, you know, one way to avoid making the kind of mistake that you just described would be to read the wire cutter review in the first place and don't yep. just be stumbling around out there in the darkness hoping you'll <laughs> blunder into the right towel. I yeah. mean, that's no way to live, is it? No, I've done a lot of laundry and I've taken a lot of showers to try and help you guys, you know, avoid to help everybody avoid that problem. Right. Is there anything more you want to say about the care and maintenance of the towel? Because that might be an important thing. I would say pay attention to the care instructions and don't use fabric softener. Fabric softener and dryer sheets, especially for something like a towel, they can work against how absorbent it is. You know, that stuff can build up in a towel over time. And so after a while, if you're wondering why your towels that used to seem really great suddenly just don't seem to be picking up any water, that's a reason why. So it can be a little bit staticky, but it's worth it if you just want it to actually do its job. All right. You know, the next time we talk, I'm going to have to ask you about it. In my house, I don't really get too involved in this or the, like I'm not yeah. trusted with these things, but there are these strange little balls now that live in the dryer that they're like, <laughs> I don't know, they're like come this lint ball that begs so persistently for life that it became a softball or something. I don't know what they're doing in there. You'll have to explain that some other day for yeah. us. All right. So first of all, we want to recommend Wirecutter and their fine reviews to our listeners. Jackie Reeve is the person writing about bed and bath and in particular towels for Wirecutter. Jackie, if you're still there, thank you. Great. Thank you so much. So a little while ago, I don't know, a few months ago, we had Marcel Danese, the author of, of Cigarettes, High Heels and Other Interesting Things, an introduction to semiotics on our show. The book's now in its third edition. But we discovered basically in talking to him that he could talk about just about anything and how particularly if you take a physical object like a towel, you know, what kinds of symbolism are impregnated in that simple object. And so we're bringing him back to do exactly that. So Marcel Denise, first of all, welcome back. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure to be back. (laughs) All right. So let's begin. You and I just started to talk about this before we even officially got rolling here. Let's talk about towels and gender. All right. Okay. We actually just before I start telling you that everything that a human being ever does or perceives is a sign. Mm-hmm. So no matter what it is, it could be an axe, it could be a pick, it could be a towel. It has a function, it allows us to do things, but it also gathers meanings. One of the things for me as a young man growing up in the late 1950s was that the towel 
It was used in a kind of sexual way in movies. I'll never forget one particular scene. Forget the name of the movie. I remember the actress that was Brigitte Bardot, who was the hot chick of that era. Mm-hmm. And she comes out of either the shower or her bathtub. All wrapped, The only thing wrapping around her body was a towel. Well... That scene has been emblazoned in my mind ever since. And so me, particularly, I think of towels in that way. They're associated with cleanliness, with touching the body, with covering the body and doing things with it. In fact, we I remember I was invited to so-called towel parties. I never went. So I have no clue what would have gone on, but I can imagine. Right. So there's, there, I mean, there's something kind of iconic about that, not just the Bardot moment, but I mean, right. and she's about as iconic anyway as it gets. But there's that, that sort of notion of the woman freshly emerged from the shower. She has a yeah. towel wrapped around her torso, and she probably also has another one wrapped around her wet hair. And there is something, you could tease that apart in a lot of different ways, including a sense of intimacy, rather than seeing her all dressed up and made as beautiful as she can be made by a combination of yeah. natural endowments plus artifice. It's sort of the opposite. This is, you're, you're seeing her before, supposedly, she gets yeah. all made up. And, but So there's something kind of intimate and sexy and, I, I don't know, something a little bit laid bare, so to speak. And, and let's not forget that towels have a very nice soft touch. So there is a kind of synesthetic communication in such images of the use of the towel as an object, as a sign of something that conceals, cleans, and makes, you know, actually turns something that we would otherwise probably consider dirty sex (laughs) into something that is clean and, and therefore verging on the, how can I say, the sacred? I I took a quick look at the history of towels myself, using a semiotic lens rather than a historical one. And in Roman culture, it would appear that towels in public bathhouses were there for modesty as well as cleaning. And therefore, that kind of interconnection with the past seems to have reverberate still in the use of the towel in these images. But let me say something else about towels, because my wife has towels in our bathroom. Well, they match the walls. <laughs> they, uh, their colors are, you know, indicative of her own personality. I couldn't give a heck what kind of colors they are. But if I were to go out and bring in new towels, she would feel that the text which constitutes the bathroom would be destroyed. So towels fit in in a way that at first doesn't seem obvious. But when you think about it, they are part of who you are. They are an extension of you because we do put them on our bodies. And therefore, in a way, as McLuhan once said, they amplify our understanding of what our body does. Right. So, But let's go back to that gender iconic kind of use of towels, because I think there's another way that we can kind of contrast them. So, yes, we all know the scene. You know, we've seen the scene in a dozen different movies. Hi. Hi. I was hoping you'd say that. I just got out of the shower. <laughs> yeah. Can I borrow your towel for a sec? My car just hit a water buffalo. <laughs> nice place you have here. Mm. I'm surprised to see you. What are you doing here? Uh, I ordered some lunch. You ordered it here? Well, I knew this is where my mouth would be. <laughs> I really should change. 
Oh, I think you should stay the same wonderful person you are today. I mean, put clothes on. The notion of sexual contact lies heavy in the air. It seems to me a man wearing a towel around his waist is a completely different set of signs. It's, it's, to me, yeah. it says jock, that yeah. maybe there'll be towel snapping, that these are, it's usually not a man and a woman. It's a bunch of guys in their sort of monkey, you know, uh, baboon herd state, yeah. right? Animal house scene. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in, in Roman baths, and even, I guess, in the kinds of public baths that we have today, men do wear towels around their private parts to hide them in, in a certain way so that it, it does relay modesty in masculine views of gender and sexuality. So there is some, you know, continuity between the two of them. But you're right. <laughs> it doesn't have the same effect that it does when women wear a towel around their their bodily parts. No, the guy wearing the towel around his waist, it's like a prelude to aggression a lot of times, you know? <laughs> yeah, um, I never thought of it that way, but I agree with you. <laughs> uh, it, you there, know? Yeah, there's something else going on there, and it usually doesn't involve women at all. I guess the point of this for uh, a semutation is that nothing that is made, that is constructed, any object on the planet is not just an object. It is something that leads us, connects us to an historical flow and therefore to meaning that really define us as a species. I would doubt very much that you're going to find... You know, I say I would doubt. I was going to say there is no such thing in other animal species, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm, I'm being a little more cautious these days. I would doubt very much that any other animal species would, need, would feel the need create objects such as towels. Right. Well, let's, let's look at another cultural use of the towel. So in war, there's waving the white flag. But in sports, particularly in boxing, there's throwing in the towel. You can hear the, the character named Duke from Rocky IV saying, throw the towel, throw the damn towel. So throw the damn towel, I mean, and it winds up being this kind of archetype of shame. Rocky Balboa, who is the person who doesn't throw the towel for his friend Apollo Creed, right. gets Apollo Creed uh, killed. But the reason that that happens is that in this case, throwing in the towel is kind of an article of shame, right? It's, it means we give up. Yeah, and, you know, exposing your weakness <laughs> right. in a certain sense when you throw in that towel. You know, it's an interesting metaphor because um, uh, I'm Italian, and I tried to translate that into, English, into Italian, <laughs> and it has absolutely no sense. Say, say it in Italian just for fun. Throw in the towel. Oh, just for fun. Yeah. Tiro l'asciugamano. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not possible. <laughs> means nothing other than you're literally throwing a towel. Um, it, that probably means that the metaphor itself is connected to a certain domain of culture especially boxing, right. where um, my guess is that boxers would be seen with uh, wearing towels on their head, you know, because they had taken a shower or sweating, because, you know, towels are also used to, uh, you know, wipe off sweat from your face and your body. And, and therefore, when you give it up, there's no more sweat, there's no more body, it's defeat. So you throw it right into the middle. I don't know of any other language that uses it in that way, which right. means that boxing... 
became an, a particularly important sport in American culture early on, probably the 20s and 30s. Right. Well, the other part of that is those towels are invariably white. We don't let your wife pick out the towels so they're white. So yeah, you, like, you got a white flag thing going on. It may even just date back to that. That's true. That's absolutely true. But that, that's not enough. Yeah. Why a towel? Why not just simply say, I give up? I, I uh, you know, raise the white flag. Right. It's, it's the, the meanings of the towel, I think, in this case, that with sweat, with masculinity and so on, you're just throwing it in. It's over. Right. The throwing is a big part of it, too. I think you're throwing it. Oh, yeah. Your, yeah you're no, throwing. no. You're throwing it away. <laughs> so there's, I think, another way in which, so here's a, I'm going to give you another culture thing. This is from the movie Scrooged, in which uh, Bill Murray plays basically Donald Trump before we quite understood that, you know, but plays this okay. kind of, uh, he's actually a network executive or something, but he's just this, this kind of mean, Scrooge-like, you know, super unpleasant guy. And he's talking about, he's talking to his secretary, who's played by Alfred Woodard. Mr. Cross, it's time for your Christmas list. Okay, read me the list. I want to get this over with. Sammy Goldberg. Beth Tal. Lou Parker. Send him a VHS home video recorder. Colonel Tom Parker. The Bath Tal. Tamara Forstall. VHS. Babalu Kaluta. The Bath Tal. Duh! Glenn Glenn Whitaker. What was the last rating on Police Hill? 5.2 Nielsen, 7 a share, and TVQ3. Towel! Your brother. Towel. Your only brother. So, so Marcel Denezi, here we have uh, towel. It, it comes to mean something else here, right? It's sort of a reflexive minimum value thing. It's almost something that is an insult. Right. <laughs> if we're going to send it to someone, say, here you are, here's your towel. Clean yourself. <laughs> You're worthless. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. And, and also it's sort of it's kind of a thing that notwithstanding the tremendous taste and acumen that your wife brings to bathroom decoration from Bill yeah. Murray's point of view in this thing is something he doesn't really have to pick out. He doesn't have to put any thought into it. A towel right. is a towel. Right. It's interesting uh, talking about towels. This summer, we were actually trying to buy a set of towels for someone who was getting married. <laughs> You know, it's part of the dowry, I guess, or whatever it's called these days. And um, again, my wife said, no, it has to have these decorations. And I said, but why? As you said to me now, a towel is a towel. She said, no, it isn't. It's got to fit in with a whole set, a whole array of meanings that are connected to the person that was getting married. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's a very intimate a choice. <laughs> in, in that situation, that's a pretty intimate choice. You know, yeah. it's, it's not like buying a frying pan or even a set of dinner nope. plates or something like that. You're picking something that's going to go in a more intimate setting, the bathroom where people yeah. are taking their clothes off and getting in the shower and getting out of bathtubs and stuff like yeah. that. And, and as we've said all before, wiping themselves with this. So when you buy that gift for somebody, yeah, you probably have to be careful about what sort of statement you're making. Yeah, because they, they could become offended and they say, what am I going to do with this? Or just discard it. I don't want these towels. I understand. I'm glad my wife is not around, but I understand that they were talking beforehand <laughs> about this. So and the, the selection was determined by a kind of discussion that went on between the two women mm. <laughs> so that the towels would be appropriate for whatever, wherever they were starting to live. So, yeah, there's more going on here than, than we would think. Now, we've mentioned here that towels are gendered. They are also socialized, and, and they also are um, symbols of defeat or victory of sweat and so on. Isn't that amazing? Right. Let me ask you this. I mean, it's a towel, Right. right? 
Well, we have to do one more thing here, too. And you actually mentioned a little while ago in our conversation on the notion of sacredness. So in Christianity, there's an awful lot of stuff that's done with liquids. So you're washing feet, you're baptizing babies, you're even doing communion where people, in many cases, drink out of a common cup that has to be kind of wiped off in between drinks and stuff like that. So the towel, we've been talking a little bit, if we're going to make a distinction between the sacred and the profane, and we're going to put Bridget Bardot over there in the comfortably profane category. There's this whole other sacred thing with towels, right? Oh, absolutely. Cleanliness is sacred. And therefore, you want to remove the dirt of life, of sin, or whatever you want to call it, by cleansing it. And cleansing it with water, with liquids of various kinds, and then wiping the body or the body part so that it remains clean, at least for a period of time. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. I don't know of any religion that includes towels directly or symbolically within it. I don't know if you are. I'm not. But, no, the, the closest that we could come would be probably the Douglas Adams is the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. It talks about the towel as this incredibly excellent thing, but that's a that's a, a, a fake philosophy as opposed to a real. Yeah, realm. that's you know, and and in some case, if you want to think about it, even wearing you know some kinds of clothing like in um, monastic places, th- those clothing are themselves cleansing of the body, and therefore they are a kind of extended bodily towel that keeps the body clean and free from dust and sin and whatever else you want. We use it to to take away water and dirt and sweat, and yet, in so doing, we associate it with water, dirt, and sweat. It, it acquires those meanings, and therefore it keeps them as a sign, as a physical sign. So we're, we're back where we started, which is a good place yep. to be with Marcel Denese, the author of, of Cigarettes, High Heels, and Other Interesting Things, an introduction to semiotics, now in its third edition. Thanks for talking to me again. It's been a pleasure. And so uh, just a few minutes ago, Marcel Denese said he didn't really know of any kind of religion that actually uses towels. Well, and I said I didn't either. I was kind of lying because there's a place called Pittsburgh where it is a religion. We're going to explain that in the next segment. Won't you hand me a shower towel Cause I ain't got one Don't drop it on the wet floor, baby Don't you know how that's like Don't drop it on the wet floor, baby Yeah, yeah, yeah So as some people know, I'm a Green Bay Packers fan. And Green Bay Packers and Wisconsin people, because they are rational people, do a particularly logical, normal thing to express their allegiance to the team. They take a piece of like foam rubber and they cut it into the shape of a wedge and then they make a little indentation in it and then they paint it yellow and then they wear it on their heads, which makes obviously complete sense. But in Pittsburgh, they do this crazy thing with towels. It just doesn't make any sense. Here to make some sense out of it for us is John Dankosky, executive editor of the New England News collaborative host of The Wheelhouse and next on WNPR. And more relevantly, he's originally, well, what I would call a Pittsburgher. You'd probably call it some other kind of Pittsburgh term. Yeah, it's a Pittsburgher. A Pittsburgher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so the t- we have to talk about the terrible towel. Yes. And I guess in order to understand the terrible towel, we have to do we have to understand who Myron Cope is first? Is that important? Yeah, and it's sort of hard to explain who Myron Cope is exactly. The way that most sports broadcasts have worked in the history of sports broadcasting is 
there's a play-by-play guy who kind of sounds like this. Gain of about three yards on the play. They move the football to the 10-yard line. It will be second down and seven yards to go. And he's very much in control of the action, and he tells you what's happening. And then there's a color commentator who sits next to him, and the color guy is almost always an ex-jock. Mm-hmm. He's an ex-running you know, running back who took a few too many blows to the head, but he always knows what's going on in the game, and he tells you what he thinks is happening. The Steelers, since the beginning of the 1970s, when they began to get good after being terrible for the first part of their history, employed a guy, a former sports writer named Myron Cope. For example, a nice bumble here on this second down play at the 10-yard line. Who's just this short little guy who has this kind of voice, and he talks like this, and everything's kind of just this strange affectation. What did I say? I said a break with that very well beside this game. I said, for example, a nice sweet fumble on this second down play at the 10-yard line. Tarkinson on the handoff hit his running back on the hip with the football. It squirted loose. The Steelers couldn't get it. Tarkinson did, but he got it just inside the end zone, and the Steelers have taken a 2 to nothing lead. And would it be something if we end up with a 2 to nothing Super Bowl? I, for one, will take it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so there you go, Myron Cope. Now, it's still not entirely clear to me what Myron Cope and towels have to do with one another. <laughs> well, here's so at around this time of that, that was the first Super Bowl the Steelers won yep. back in 74, 75. 75, yeah. Um, he, he came up with an idea with other people at his radio station. He was at WTAE, which was the flagship station of the Pittsburgh Steelers, to do something to get the crowd more involved. And they weren't quite sure what exactly that would be. And at first, Myron didn't think this was the best idea. But then they came up with the idea that if the the fans brought black and gold towels to the game and waved those towels, that would be a way to uh, build up civic pride. It would help to get the crowd enthused. What's interesting, Colin, is you mentioned the Packers earlier. Much like the Green Bay Packers, Steelers and Steelers fans have sort of eschewed any idea that you're going to do anything fancy. We don't have cheerleaders. We've Mm -hmm. never had cheerleaders at Pittsburgh Steelers games. And the idea that you'd have a gimmick like waving a towel above your head was kind of silly to Myron and to others. But he picks up this idea because basically his boss has told him, you have to do something like this. He said, okay, I think I I can come up with this. And he, he started to promote the terrible towel as the thing that fans could do to help rally the team through tough times. And so they brought their own towels, and then he started selling towels under the banner of Myron Cope's terrible towel shortly thereafter. And it just became a thing that everyone did in the city. Yes, I mean, to, to your point about practicality and, and perhaps a certain level of modesty in an overweening pro sports environment, he actually said the gimmick should be something, quote, lightweight and portable and already owned by just about every fan, which I like that just about. There may be some people in Pittsburgh who do not own towels. <laughs> or, or do not own black and gold towels. That could have been the problem, yes. But, but of course, they, they, they later became just gold towels, and these were the official Myron Cope terrible towels. Can I just say something about this column that I think is really important? I wish to, you would. To set the terrible towel apart from gimmicks at other sporting events. Right. If you watch a World Series game or a, a baseball playoff game, a hockey playoff game, you will invariably see the fans enthused at having a playoff game in their city, waving something, maybe their towels, maybe their pom-poms. A, a few years ago when the Anaheim Angels won the World Series, they were using those thunder sticks and they were clapping them above their head. Fireworks, loudness, those sticks... Raring to go in Game 7 of the 2002 World Series. But each one of these times, it was essentially a gimmick. It was something that was handed out at the time the game started, and you were told, 
wear this white shirt and wave this white flag and you'll be part of the thing. But the terrible towel is something that you already have at home and you just bring yourself. That's what's different about this than any of these other gimmicks that you see. Right. The other thing about it is, you know, yeah, you probably are not going to use your thunderstick like around the house or bring your thunderstick to the <laughs> no. bar even. No. So, and perhaps in your fascinating manner of approximating Pittsburgh speech, maybe you could invite some of your friends to meet you at the bar and to bring their uh, terrible towels. So what you'd say is, we're going to go downtown <laughs> and we're going to go grab a couple irons. Those are Iron City beers. You go grab a couple irons, go see the Stiller game. Maybe we'll meet down the strip down from Annie's. But anyway, bring your towel because we'll wave the towel at the game. That's what you do. You wave the terrible towel. And you notice, by the way, when you played the Myron Cope thing, yeah. it's it's not first down and 10. It's yeah. first down. Yeah, down, yeah. First down. And so is the, is the terrible towel to be waved to create a rally or can it be, wa- can it be waved in a lot of different uh, ways? I mean, as an act of celebration when something good is happening or when something good has not happen, happened yet, but you hope it will. I mean, what is the what's the sort of, I don't know, superstition that's embedded in it? The, the time that you'll see the towels waved the most is at the start of the game. It's. It's when the the kickoff is about to happen and you hear the music in the background and almost all the fans are standing up and they're waving the towels. It's a way of signaling that the game is about to begin. And then you wave the towels whenever the defense is on the field and you're trying to be as loud as possible and you're trying to distract the other team. You would tend not to see the towels out when the offense is on the field and you're trying to be quiet so that Ben Roethlisberger can actually conduct the offense. And, yeah, you use them as a rally towel, but it's more a celebratory towel, right? Yeah. You you stand up and you wave the towel whenever there's a touchdown, and, and it's just a – there's nothing like being in the old Three River Stadium or the current Heinz Field and seeing 60,000 people <laughs> waving these stupid yellow towels. It's really quite a – it's really quite a scene. You say stupid yellow towels, yet I feel as though you probably own – a terrible towel. I, I own a few terrible towels. <laughs> and the the interesting thing about the, the magic of the terrible towel, right, is that you you bring it with you when the Steelers are playing an important game. And you whether you're you're at the game or you're sitting on your couch, your catch. And but but the thing is, is that the magic of the towel is still in the towel, even if every single time you take the towel out, the Steelers lose. Mm-hmm. Right. The towel is there when something bad happens. But the towel is also there when something good happens. It's never in a Pittsburgh Steelers fan's mind, it's never the towel's fault right. in the way oh, no. that, that maybe a rally cap might have gone awry or I wore the wrong socks and so therefore my yeah. team lost. The terrible towel is never at fault. The terrible towel is a is a talisman that brings good, but it never really brings evil, if that makes sense. And I would imagine that they're probably in families. That would they, do they pass these things down to subsequent generations? Absolutely. And, this, and whenever you see, like in my Facebook feed, if somebody has a, a brand new baby and they're in their little... Pittsburgh Steelers onesie, they probably have a terrible towel underneath underneath the child. And again, you can use it and you can use it around the house. You don't want to you don't want to clean the bathroom with no, it. Oh no, I wouldn't think so. You don't wipe off the dog with it. No. You know, it's a terrible towel after all. <laughs> but you can use it to, you know, wipe off your seat as Myron Cope said when you get to the game because it's, you know, might might be wet. You you can use it to swaddle the child because that would be a, an act of of both love and love for your team. Yeah, the nativity. Uh, All right. Well, we can't end in a better place than that right there. So thank you, John Dankosky, who uh, has been kind enough to spend some time with us, showing a side of him that you don't always see here. And this perfectly rational person turns out to harbor all kinds of strange superstitions about the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right. We're going to continue our conversation about towels right after this. Conversation about towels. (laughs) You'd be amazed.
the ghetto, baby, terrible town. Pittsburgh, in the city where they wear the black and gold. Pittsburgh, Steelers, going to the Super Bowl. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, let me hear you say it loud. Pittsburgh, go ahead and wave your terrible town. Ravens, bet you wish you didn't talk about the Promani Bros. Got your belt whipped, now we're going to go in the Super Bowl. What was it like before towels were invented? Did people just stand around saying, we're wet and there's nothing we can do about it? Today's show was produced by Jonathan McTowell and me, Kyone Wolf. Amanda Fish never dries off. The part of Bill Curry was played by Towelie, the talking South Park towel. Special thanks to Golden Globe-nominated filmmaker Carlos Mejia and ASL interpreters Heidi Catalan and Mary Sue Owens for their work on Radio for the Deaf. On tomorrow's show, an episode sort of like the nose about Doctor Who. And now, back to Colin. So from a certain point of view, the arbitrariness of doing an entire show about towels is, I don't know, it's almost sort of backed up by Douglas Adams. We, had, we weren't really even thinking about Douglas Adams when we decided to do a show entirely about towels. But then he wasn't really thinking about us when he decided to make towels such a central part of his work. And so we're going to explain that to you. His work, of course, is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Joining us right now is Jem Roberts, a comedy historian, the author of The Frood, the authorized and very official history of Douglas Adams and The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We should also say that his latest work is Soupy Twists, the full official story of the sophisticated silliness of Fry and Laurie. That would be Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie, unless it's a very completely different book. It could, they could be two doctors, for all I know. All right, well, let's sell this idea. Let's listen to the unabridged chunk of the audiobook version of The Hitchhiker's Guide. This is narrated very conveniently, for Jem's sake, by Stephen Fry. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy has a few things to say on the subject of towels. A towel, it says, is about the most massively useful thing an interstellar hitchhiker can have. Partly it has great practical value. You can wrap it around you for warmth as you bound across the cold moons of Jaglan Beta. Use it to sail a mini-raft down the slow, heavy river moth. Wet it for use in hand-to-hand combat. You can wave your towel in emergencies as a distress signal. And, of course, dry yourself off with it, if it still seems to be clean enough. More importantly, a towel has immense psychological value. For some reason, if a strag, a strag is a non-hitchhiker, discovers that a hitchhiker has his towel with him, what the strag will think is that any man who can hitch the length and breadth of the galaxy, rough it, slum it, struggle against terrible odds, win through, and still know where his towel is, is clearly a man to be reckoned with. Hence a phrase that has passed into hitchhiking slang, as in, Hey, you sass that hoopy Ford prefect. There's a frood who really knows where his towel is. So, and it's probably not necessarily the case that as Douglas Adams started to write this legendary work, that he was thinking of towels. Don't towels come up a little bit late in the game? Well, uh, funnily enough, yes. It's one of the things that I sort of, I noticed when I was writing the frood. Everyone thinks of towels connected with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But the funny thing is, you won't find any mention of them in the, the original run of, it started out as a BBC 
BBC Radio 4 comedy show before the book, which most people think of, came along. And once Douglas had been asked to write the book, the first novel of Hitchhiker's Guide, he went off on holiday with some friends to Greece, I think I'm right in saying. But this is actually quite quite a boring anecdote, to be completely <laughs> honest. But it's the extent to which, from this boring anecdote, so much has come. It, it makes it more impressive in a way. But the simple fact is that they were all on holiday in Greece, going down to the beach every day, and Douglas could never find his towel. It was that simple. So he invented the idea of the Frood being somebody who is so cool that they always know where their towel is, which is absolutely not him. It just seemed that any time they were setting off for the beach, they all, everyone was sorted out and Douglas was still 20 minutes late trying to find his towel all the time. It was just sort of a way of showing how completely untogether he was. The idea that if you've got a towel, then you're going to be a very together fruit. Now, at this very moment, some percentage of our audience is going, thank God they didn't forget to include Douglas Adams in this show about towels. And then another percentage of our audience is going, what in heaven's name is happening right now? What are they talking about here? So, I mean, and Jim, I don't know whether we need to explain this. I mean, it's been, it's it's obviously a, a book with a cult following and that almost mm. shames the following, to call it a cult following, such a big and fervent following. It's a movie, as you say, it, before that it was yeah. on BBC. I mean, this is sort of like this. Points. And, and some of the fun of it, I, I think, is knowing all these things, right? I mean, some of the fun of Douglas Adams is belonging and knowing the towel joke. Yes, well, indeed. Well, I mean, the interesting thing is, I think the book is probably most people's first thought, apart from, you know, that's if they read books. If they don't read books at all, then it will be the the Disney movie. Mm -hmm. But those who do read books will be surprised that Hitchhiker's Guide was also a radio show and a TV show and a computer game and, and funnily enough, a towel even back in the day. The funny thing is, it seems to me, to be perfectly honest, that Hitchhiker's Guide is, if anything, more popular in America than it is <laughs> in Britain. Because, I mean, obviously, it's it's a much bigger country with a bigger population, so there is that to take into account. But when I was researching the book, and you go on YouTube and just type in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it seemed that uh, at least half of the hits that that got on YouTube was American teenagers doing book reports. It almost seemed like some kind of rite of passage <laughs> that American teens doing English at some point, at about the age of 12 or 13, they gave a book report on Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And there's loads of them on YouTube. So could we, could you and I agree that there's something, I mean, just in the same sense that there's something, a monkey is a funnier animal than, you know, a dog. I mean, if you say monkey, you include monkey in a sentence, the sentence is going to get a little bit funnier. And there, there's something yeah. funny about towels. I, 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 and I don't think there's any really much of a way to talk about it, but something in the quintessence of towels. I mean, if he'd made it something else, it would be a little less funny. Does that seem right? Certainly, uh, you know, hairdryer is positively, you know, mawkish <laughs> in its lack of humor. Right. The interesting thing is, come to think of it, I would be surprised if Douglas was not the very, very first humorist ever to see the comedic value in towels. I think that's one of the beautiful things about it. And one of the good things about Douglas Adams' brain, that he could absolutely sort of laser in on one thing that nobody had ever particularly singled out before and turn it into something totally unexpected. So it could be, as I say, you know, anything from the meaning of life throughout the known universe 
to something handy that you can um, have a suck on occasionally, which is also a usage for towels. <laughs> yeah, there's something I think about the latency of the towel. You know, it's sort of a thing that everybody has but nobody thinks about. So when you make such a big fuss out of it the way that he does in that section that we heard, you're kind of exalting and elevating a very humdrum object in a way that's funny. In a way, I wouldn't be surprised. And I, I you know, having written the book four years ago, it's only just occurred to me now. I wouldn't be surprised if Douglas Adams practically, because the whole towels thing didn't come along till after the first radio series, which had been a big hit, was written and, and produced. I wonder whether he actually used it as a specific test to see what fans might latch onto. Because, it, as I say, its beginnings at his, on his holiday were so dull, frankly, just so commonplace. And it very quickly started to use it quite a lot. Couldn't you have done something? I saved your life. Okay, that makes us even. It's a tough galaxy. You want to survive out here, you gotta know where your towel is. Give me a hand over here. So we should also point out that it would be better if we were having this conversation on May 25th, which is Towel Day. Tell us about Towel Day. Douglas Adams' fan base is uh, very devoted. Certainly the ones that were there from the start. I must admit, I was still in the womb when the very first radio shows went out. I think it's good for a fan base to have... I mean, Star Wars has May the 4th, so um, it's good to be able to celebrate Douglas Adams' life. I mean, we've it's now crumbs it's getting on for 18 years that we've been living on this planet without douglas adams and so anything that kind of brings uh, his fans together and uh, as a way to kind of remember him and celebrate all of his manifold works be it all his conservation work or just the fun of towels i think anything like that is is a very good thing indeed because you know that's the question that i had to ask in the fruit it, it you know was he a 1970s sci-fi cult thing of its time or will he be remembered alongside jane austen in 200 years from now and obviously i wouldn't have written that book if i wasn't of the belief that he's one of the jane austen brigade and towel day will hopefully well i mean with towel day presuming there is still a human race <laughs> as a going concern in uh, 200 years time then there will definitely still be people celebrating Towel Day. It may be hundreds of thousands, it may be millions, it may be 12. Well, but I think in 200 years' time, people will still be getting their towels together and enjoying the gags in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Right, so we should, uh, we should note that in 2015, it was actually celebrated in space on the International Space Station. Italian astronaut Samantha Cristoforetti sent a Towel Day greeting, read aloud from The Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, they've done other things in other places. In, for some reason, the Norwegian Public Transportation Agency gave away a limited number of special towels in 2013 on Towel Day that can contained an RFID chip so that you could get one bus ride or something for free. So the, <laughs> so the, the persistence of this is kind of impressive, both on the globe and in space. This planet, it, that's the strange thing. I mean, there's something so universal about the look at the universe that Douglas Adams gave us in that book that I think all these different countries don't see it as an English thing uh, at all. They just see it as an earthling thing, if you like. And that's a beautiful place to end here with Jem Roberts, a comedy historian and the author of The Frood, the authorized and very official history of Douglas Adams and The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He has been joining us from Skype. He also has a book out about Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie. Check that one out as well. And thanks to everybody who cooperated with today's show, Goofy Premise and all. Now go home and hug your towel.
must be Thursday. I never could get the hang of Thursdays. <laughs>